Welcome to Academic Advising for a Wise Education. This is the podcast that teaches things about higher education to help improve your learning and studying, make smarter choices of a major and coursework, understand how colleges and universities work, find internships and research assignments that complement your classroom learning, be financially sensible, become academically mature, prepare for graduate school, and plan for your future career. I'm Advisor Jay. Today's topic is Starting at a College or University, Part 3. Your entry to a college or university as a new student can be a very exciting time in life. It may feel like a whole new world is beginning for you. I want to help you ensure that important steps are taken in those early days, weeks, and months. My first four items of advice on this theme were shared in Part 1. The next four items were shared in Part 2. All advice was intended as things to do as soon as possible prior to your first term in college or university, but you can still do them even if classes have already begun. Let's continue. Advice item 9. Learn the campus rules and procedures regarding financial aid and payment of fees. This is very important. Deadlines for paying instructional and other fees are normally held too rigidly by college and university administrations. If fees are not paid by the deadline, you might automatically be dropped from all classes and subjected to a late ad penalty fee. This also means that if there was a waiting list for any of your classes, it is likely that another student will have been offered the place in the class that you had. Even if you then pay all fees right away, you are likely to now be at the bottom of the waitlist for each of those classes. If your being dropped was a mistake that was not your fault, there is a slim chance that a professor would move you ahead of everyone else on the waitlist and enroll you again, but that is at the discretion of that faculty member. This is why I recommend always ensuring that your fees are paid promptly, in advance of the deadline, and make sure to always get an official receipt proving that you paid. If you are going to make a payment in person on campus, there should be a cashier's office where you can do this, but make sure you know the hours that the office is open. Hopefully you already have a plan in place for paying the expenses of being a student each term for the two to four years that you will be in school. That takes financial planning that you might not be used to in life. This is an example of where the advice of a professional advisor is wise to get before you find yourself in a financial mess. I can help you with it as part of my virtual advising service. Listen for details at the close of this episode. You can also read about it in the description of this episode at the podcast streaming service where you are listening. If you plan to apply for financial aid every year, which you probably want to do, you should apply as soon as possible when the application period opens. It makes sense that financial aid is only available if funds are available, so the later you apply, the lower your probability of getting whatever funding might be available to you. If you are awarded financial aid, send a thank you letter to the financial aid office or the organization where the funds came from. Do this every quarter or semester that aid is received. Write a sincere letter of a few paragraphs. Truthfully describe just how helpful the funding is for you. Donors appreciate when their kindness is acknowledged. Advice item 10. Learn about student organizations that might interest you. Your first term in college or university is sure to be busy as you settle into this new environment where you may spend just about every waking minute over the next two to four years. The more you learn ahead of time, the easier your life in school will be. Every campus has student organizations. 
Public and private not-for-profit universities, liberal arts colleges, and community colleges all have clubs that are run by students for the benefit of students. Depending on the student population of the college or university, there could be anywhere from a few to hundreds of student organizations, and you could go through your entire two to four years on campus without realizing that there were groups whose themes and missions would appeal to you. But there is no need for that to happen. I recommend that you do what you can to learn about student groups as soon as possible so that you at least have an idea of what you may be interested in. Otherwise, in your first or second terms of school, you will be inundated with advertisements for student groups and maybe not know where to begin, or you might overcommit yourself to the first group that draws your attention. Official student groups are registered with the campus administration and normally eligible for some funding from the school. Because they receive funding from the campus, they are typically required to be open to all students on campus. This means, for example, that if a group is focused on, let's just say, something pertaining to the department that the group is affiliated in, you would not have to be a major in that department in order to join the group. And that means there's a lot of room for you to explore areas of uh, study or subjects of interest outside of what you are formally involved in, in your major. Some student organizations have an academic focus. Some are meant to help students with career aspirations, and some are just for fun. While your primary reason for being in school should be to earn a degree or a certificate, participating in at least one student group is a worthwhile endeavor if the following are true. One, if it interests you. Two, if getting involved in the organization does not distract from your academic obligations. And three, if you get to interact with other students and learn something. Your campus should have a web page where all student organizations are listed, along with their contact information. Some student groups might not get started until very close to the beginning of the academic year or just after, so check back when school starts to see if new groups have been added that might appeal to you. Advice item 11, the final one for now. Learn the culture of your institution. In this context, culture is the common beliefs, ways of doing things, and social setting of a part of society. Every college and university campus has a culture. Starting your studies at a campus is like moving to a new city, moving to a new neighborhood, starting employment at a new workplace, or marrying into a family. In each of those cases, you as the new addition to the group are wise to quickly learn where things are and how things are done. You don't have to agree with everything, but you should at least learn which practices on campus allow for flexibility and which are rigid. Keep an open mind. Just because a way of doing something is different than what you are used to does not have to mean that it's a bad idea. Just as a societal culture is complicated with many facets, a campus culture can also be complicated. Some students find themselves fitting right in with the culture at a campus, while others do not. What might cause a student to feel like she or he does not fit into the culture of a college or university? Possible answers include the following. Number one, being unprepared for the general environment and expecting it to merely be a continuation of high school. Two, focusing on what she or he expected to find rather than accepting the environment as it is and adjusting to it, if that is possible. Three, being unprepared for the level of work and independence that faculty members expect of post-secondary students. Four, challenges of living away from home for the first time. Five, not getting involved in extracurricular activities. Six, not getting to know other students with whom friendships develop and feeling lonely as a result. 7. Finding that the campus has inefficient and or unfair practices that are frustrating to live with. And 8. Personal reasons not really related to the campus culture, but that the student mistakenly attributes to it.
There are other possible reasons. What I stated are a few examples. What can be done to address a feeling of not fitting into a campus culture? One thing you can do is listen to every episode of this podcast so that you get prepared. Another thing to do is adjust your thinking about the environment. It's natural to reject things, practices, and people who do not immediately appeal to us. Over time, however, you may find your thinking modifies on at least some things, and you begin to realize that a different way of doing something is actually better than what you were used to. Also, be ready for the fact that you are likely to encounter many big changes in your life as an adult, as I said earlier, when you start employment at a new workplace or move to a new city. So what you go through as a student may be preparation for the future. What should you do if you find yourself not fitting into a campus culture and that reality is bringing you down? First, do not sabotage yourself academically. Keep going to all of your classes. Keep doing your best on all assignments and tests. Second, do not rush to make a big change without thinking carefully and wisely about what you feel is missing. Third, document on paper what is bothering you, what you have done to address it, what you think you might still do to explore and respond to the problem, and why this is strongly impacting you. Fourth, consult a professional for advice. You can try to find someone at your college or university to talk to, but whether you will find a professional who is not biased in favor of the institution and who is qualified to help you and who cares to spend the time with you that is needed to evaluate the situation and possible ways to handle it is difficult to say. Not surprisingly, I am going to advise you to contact me because I am here to help you make wise decisions and I have a wealth of experience and professional training to draw on. Continue listening for information about my virtual advising service later in this episode. Let's recall the 11 pieces of advice from this three-part mini-series called Starting at a College or University. In Part 1, I advise the following. Item 1. Promptly, in full, carefully read all information that you receive from the campus, whether it's by email or on paper. Item 2. Establish a personal calendar, either on paper or electronically, where you will keep track of important dates and deadlines. Item 3. Familiarize yourself with where things are on campus using the official map at its website. Item 4. Get familiar with the campus website. In Part 2, here are the things I advised. Item 5. Learn about your department and the curriculum for your major. Item 6. Learn about the rules and procedures for enrollment. Item 7. Obtain and carry your student identification card. Item 8. Learn the campus rules about grading and academic integrity. Finally, in Part 3, the episode you are listening to now, my advice has been this. Item 9. Learn the campus rules and procedures regarding financial aid and payment of fees. Item 10. Learn about student organizations that might interest you. Item 11. Learn the culture of your campus. That is, learn about the institution as a whole. The episodes in this podcast are not meant to cover every possible thing there is to say on any one theme. There is plenty more that I can say on this topic, and so I want to emphasize that the podcast is not the only way you can hear from me. For personalized advising via Zoom, reach me at the contact information provided in the description for this podcast. In your message, be sure to mention your name so that I can respond to you as a person. Include a detailed description and explanation of your situation, and clearly state what help you would like to receive from me. If there are questions based on today's topic that you want to ask me, state them. If it's help with another topic that you want, tell me what that topic is. 
Let me know your availability over the next week or two for a meeting via Zoom. For some situations, a person may need a one-time session to get questions answered and hear my advice. In other cases, you might want or need multiple sessions because the topic or issues may be too much to address in a single meeting. Or maybe you want to arrange advising from me on a regular basis, such as every few weeks, every month, whatever the case might be. I will reply to your message with an estimation of how much time I think it will take to help you, and I will let you know my fee. My job is not just to dispense information, but to help you make decisions that are sensible, realistic, efficient, cost-saving, and with the best possible outcome as I see it. I don't just want you to be educated. I want you to be wise. That's all for this episode. I look forward to sharing more information and advice with you in the future. You've been listening to Academic Advising for a Wise Education, a podcast by Advisor J. We hope the information and advice presented was enlightening. These episodes offer general advice. Your situation may call for additional action or an altogether different approach. For personalized guidance specific to you, Advisor J offers video advice via Zoom for a fee. Contact J at treasureoflifeatoutlook.com. That's treasure of life at outlook.com. When emailing, please include your name, a detailed description of your situation, and clearly state what help you need. Advisor J is here to assist you, but ultimately your education is your responsibility, and so all decisions are your own to make. That email address can also be used to send Advisor J any comment about the podcast. Knowledge alone is rarely enough. In life, it pays to be wise.